Hello, and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman, and in my experience as a husband, a father, a church planter, a pastor, and a university professor, I've discovered that everyday ideas on human flourishing have significant consequences. Our goal here at the Pinocchio Project is to examine these everyday ideas to see if they actually deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman. I'm joined by Jeff Olson, and we're here to continue our conversation about a an everyday idea that is deeply embedded in our culture uh, that promises human flourishing, but may or may not deliver when examined through a biblical lens. And that idea is that abortion leads to or increases human flourishing or abortion removes obstacles to human flourishing. And so today what I'd like to do is uh, remind us that to flourish is to grow in a healthier or vigorous way, particularly as a result of being in a favorable environment. And I'd like to center the conversation for this podcast on something that's common to every image bearer, everyone who from a biblical perspective we say every human being bears God's image. And so one of the components of that image that human beings share is the need to worship, uh, the absolute necessity of worship. Uh, We all are formed to worship. And so there are proper objects of worship and there are improper objects of worship. But to worship literally means that I dedicate uh, my thoughts, uh, my affections, uh, my passions, my resources, Uh, I commit myself to a uh, bending the knee to ideas or persons or a combination of ideas and persons. And so when it comes to this conversation, uh, I want to ground it in the reality that we're all formed to worship. The question is, what will we worship? How will we worship it? And what will be the outcomes of that worship? And so a proposition I'd like to start with is when it comes to human flourishing, proper worship provides the environment necessary for flourishing. Misplaced worship is the breeding ground of bad ideas and human suffering. And so let me refresh, and hopefully you got this in our first series of podcasts as we went through the construction of a biblical worldview Uh, To worship biblically means that God is our only object of worship, and that requires of us submission to God, sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom, a restraint from moral passions that can take us outside the guardrails of all kinds of ethical dilemmas, and I consider myself not someone to be served, but someone who is a servant. So, Biblical worship, God is the only object. I submit myself, I sacrifice for the cause, I restrain myself from moral appetites that take me outside of the ethical guardrails of flourishing, and I see myself first as a servant and not someone to be served. By contrast, misplaced worship sees self as primary object, and that includes a need to promote self, uh, to protect self, to indulge self, and to insist that my agenda is dominant among all others. So the main uh, distinctives of 
biblical worship are God as the only object, self as servant, and then the main distinctives of misplaced worship is self as primary object with self as someone to dominate. And we see this uh, rooted in what we would say is the answer to the second question of a, a worldview construct, and that is what's wrong with this world. Uh, in a biblical framework, the narrative of Genesis chapter 3 and moving forward all the way to the future in Revelation chapter 20, the, the problem is that we all now are infected with this sin virus, uh, to use a metaphor, that places self as the primary object of worship. So let's move on and uh, get right into our conversation about abortion. Uh, abortion and what we've learned about worship. And I've done a lot of study in the past couple of weeks, a lot of reading, a lot of rereading, a lot of examination of strategies used by pro-life and pro-choice so-called uh, agendas when it comes to insisting that abortion is uh, necessary for human flourishing. Uh, and uh, just trust me, this has been a difficult couple of weeks for my research and study and review and refreshment. Because as I talked about last week, uh, my wife and I have experience with abortion, and I would call the ultimate misplaced worship. Uh, and that's something that I said again, uh, God has uh, forgiven us for, we are healed and continue to be healed. And so I want to say with compassion and empathy, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you have direct experience with abortion, or at least one or two degrees off in indirect experience. And we would like to be a resource to uh, pray for you, to serve you, to provide resources that uh, are specifically tuned uh, to abortion recovery. Uh, but this is what I've learned about abortion and worship in this past a couple of weeks, either biblical worship or misplaced worship. And I want to talk about a key strategy that I think is helpful uh, to pro-life causes, and that is the question of personhood. We've seen throughout the history of this argument uh, from a legal perspective when it comes to abortion that personhood was the key that turned the lock of what was appropriate and what was not as far as abortion goes. And uh, Harry Blackman, when he was on the Supreme Court uh, having these conversations, he proposed the, the trimester uh, template of personhood. And you see, if, if, if you look some of this research up, you'll see uh, reams and reams of data, volumes and volumes of conversation, uh, which none of these conversations includes the voice of the unborn, by the way, uh, when it comes to personhood and, you know, what level of competence, what level of independence, what level of viability. And so as the uh, pro-life camp was passionate about protecting life in the womb, uh, we developed these personhood proofs uh, that we thought would be helpful to the argument. And the idea is, and I think they're still helpful at some, at some level, uh, the idea is that if only the person who's pregnant, if, if the woman could see and understand that this is an actual human being, a child in the womb, uh, then she would reconsider her decision for an abortion. I think that's, that's helped in, in probably hundreds of thousands of cases, the personhood argument. Uh, and, and as technology has advanced with imaging and biology has advanced with understanding that the unborn is an actual separate biological system, uh, the personhood argument has more and more weight. But the funny thing happened on our way to 
leaning on personhood as a key argument in pro-life strategies. Still a good argument, uh, but it can't be the only argument. It can't be our only understanding uh, because it seems even as technology has improved both in imaging and biological understanding, uh, the venom and the, the, the aggressive nature of the insistence on abortion as necessary for human flourishing and actually taking it into the realm of a human right uh, has increased. And as you see, if you pick up a paper, you turn on the TV, you look online at your news feeds, you will see that the argument is more heated than ever. And actually the demand uh, for an abortion uh, goes far beyond any kind of trimester understanding. It's basically uh, laws are being proposed now and even a federal law that will be uh, discussed today demands abortion at any time in the pregnancy. So personhood as key to our pro-life strategy might be an effective tool, but there's a deeper understanding that must be gained as we have this conversation when considering how a woman approaches the understanding of what's going on in her pregnancy. And so I'm going to pause now and, and open up a resource for us. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Uh, it is a study conducted uh, for the Vitae Society uh, by a group called Kenny and Associates. Now, the study came out in 1994, and you who are academics and scholars will say, hey, we can't trust anything that old. I would offer that this is a timeless piece uh, when it comes to understanding the psychological dynamics of how women feel about abortion. As a matter of fact, that's the title of this, of this study. Abortion, the least of three evils, understanding the psychological dynamics of how women feel about abortion. And what you'll see here is that most women understand that this is a human being that they're carrying and that's being formed in their body. Uh, but there are, there are deeper levels of nuanced fears and desires that actually indicate a misplaced worship. So just as a pause, we who are members of the body of Christ, uh, we are called to a higher accountability because we have an ultimate authority. When you're talking about uh, these very difficult subjects, and you're referring to people who are outside the body of Christ who may or may not have uh, an understanding of what it means to be formed in the image of God. Uh, they have less of a framework uh, through which to, to view the conditions and the consequences of their pregnancy. And so then we always want to remember that we don't battle against image bearers. We battle against bad ideas that are enslaving image bearers. Uh, ideas that promise flourishing but lead to degrading and suffering. And so this is directly from our study by Kenny and Associates. Making the, the decision to abort is not a battle between good and evil. It is a battle only among evils. The majority of women say that the decision to have an abortion is a very difficult decision to make because they agree that it does take a life. So there's the personhood argument. They agree that it does take a life, which is evil, but it is seen as a necessary evil because it is a means of self-preservation, preventing an unwanted pregnancy from leading to the death of the self, and that carrying an unplanned pregnancy to term and keeping the child threatens the woman's present 
and future self. These women say that they dismiss adoption as an alternative very early in the process of thinking through their options because it provides no resolution to their dilemma. In fact, they see adoption as an even greater evil than abortion. They contend it is a loathsome act because of their professed assumption that the adopted child would be abused or neglected. And they think that any child given up for adoption would feel rejected, unloved, or abandoned. Abandoning your own child to strangers is tantamount to throwing the child to the wolves. It is too painful and reflects negatively upon a woman's character because it is a renouncement of her responsibilities as a mother. Now, if you've been paying attention to our discussions on what it means to be functional as a worldview, uh, one of the basic tenets of a functional worldview is that it is not contradictory. And what you see here, especially in these last couple of statements when it comes to adoption in particular, is that women reject adoption and choose abortion because they say adoption is too painful and reflects negatively upon a woman's character because it is a renouncement of her responsibilities as a mother. What then is the abortion? Is the abortion not just a renouncement, but also an extermination of her responsibilities as a mother? Now, I know this is, can be very provocative at this time. And believe me, I had to pause and restart after praying with Jeff. But this is the kind of examination that needs to be done. This, these are moral statements. These are moral truth claims, and they are resu- the result of misplaced worship. We see here self and self and self with no ultimate voice given to the unborn. But what we see here is the, the construction of a theological system of worship that, that women have bought into. And we'll talk more about how we got here in our next podcast, uh, how we separate uh, sex from childbearing and childbearing from marriage and marriage from design. And then ultimately, all restraint is cast off. And so there's a, th- there's a theological system of worship that has been bought into that is enslaving culture in regards to abortion here. And we'll talk more about that next time. So to close, uh, I first have a couple of questions and then I have a word for the church, a word to the church from the biblical text. And based on what we read in this study, my first question is, what ideas about human flourishing influence image bearers to view motherhood or carrying to term and pursuing adoption as evils that are more evil than killing a human being? What ideas about human flourishing influence image bearers to view motherhood or carrying to term and pursuing adoption as evils that are more evil than killing a human being? The second question related, what object or objects of worship are central to such a view? Because make no mistake, image bearers, we are made to worship. Proper worship brings human flourishing. Misplaced worship brings suffering. 
to children, women, men, relationships, families, and cultures. So as a word to the church, I want to remind us about what it means to commit to engage with culture with these bad ideas, but then to examine this, whether or not we've actually been influenced ourselves toward these worldviews and toward these bad ideas. In Psalm 106, the psalmist is uh, refreshing Israel's history uh, in this section as to idolatry and bad worship, misplaced worship. Uh, talking about Israel's history of uh, intermingling with nations and adopting their gods. Psalm 106, verse 35. I'll go through verse 39. But they, that's the Israelites, mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshiped their idols, misplaced worship, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods, misplaced worship. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, misplaced worship. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. This is a closing word to the church reminding us of our responsibility to the culture to propose better ideas and to resist being enslaved by the culture and importing ideas that lead to desecration, defilement, and death. On that cheery note, this is Mitch Friedman, The Pinocchio Project, signing off. Till next time. Thanks so much for being with us on The Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening. And remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.